Welcome to another episode of Mental Health Mondays, where we talk to professionals that are in the mental health space or guests who experience or live with a mental health challenge or mental health advocates. And I just want to remind you to make sure that you like, subscribe, and share. And I'm actually going to give you some really cool news towards the end of this uh, episode. So make sure that you stick around. But again, we're not looking for perfection here. We're just having an awesome conversation. So I want to actually start introducing my guests, which is something that I haven't done in the past, but I think that it is really important because normally I just bring them up and you're like, hey, what's up? So let's do an introduction for the first time. So I'm going to, my guest today is Ari. He's the performance therapist. He has been, I'm going to just read this verbatim, but um, he has been one of the most sought after therapists and trainers for elite athlete athletes, corporate culture, and wellness. And as an international industry speaker and author, he is the founder and CEO of Achieve Health USA and the Performance Therapist Academy. And he can be found interviewing world changers, Olympic athletes, influencers, policymakers, and more on his podcast called Create a New Tomorrow. He has a vision to help society activate our vision for a better world. So I'm going to bring up my friend Ari. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for giving me that introduction so I can actually properly bring out my guests. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I know I totally was going to butcher your last name, so I didn't even try. It's all right. <laughs> it gets butchered a lot. Yeah, I figured. So I just did an introduction of who you are, but tell the audience a little bit about yourself. All right. So I've been in the health and wellness industry 27 years. So I started out when I was 18 and kind of the brief origin story of how that happened. Um, I was seven years old when I started getting hot flashes and migraines. 12 years old, I had to be injected into puberty um, because I had a brain tumor that nobody knew about. So <clears throat> by the time I was 17, I had taken classes in aromatherapy and herbology and um, I had been taking a homeopathic remedy that I got from a naturopath. And that remedy was uh, snake venom. And what I did not know about these kinds of homeopathic remedies at the time was you can't have caffeine with them. And I ended up going whitewater rafting, having a lot of Mountain Dew and getting an allergic reaction to the, um, the homeopathic remedy. But then I also got sunstroke and heat stroke and kind of like a perfect storm attacked my system and I went into anaphylactic shock. And by the time I got to the hospital, it took them 26 minutes to bring me back. And so uh, a few days later, I sat up in the hospital bed and I said, I think I need to be a healer. And that's kind of how it started for me. Wow. Oh my gosh. That I, I have never heard that story before. That is incredible. And having that experience at such a young age and then just knowing what you want to do. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, I didn't even know like snake venom is something that they use. 
Yeah. I mean, all kinds of homeopathic remedies, but that happened to be one of one of them. And I guess it goes based on your symptoms. So uh, if you have the symptoms of what a snake venom would give, then that's what they give as the homeopathic. Huh. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience, but um, I, gr I grew up in a very odd way. You know, I had this combination of medical issues. Um, and then I also had been traumatized, abused, sexually uh, molested at three, um, raped at growing up, beaten, bullied, all those kinds of things. And so by the time I was about eight years old, my parents sent me to Est um, and started this process of self-growth. So they were Amway people. And so they always had the trainings. And, and so I went to LifeSpring and Landmark and the, you know, I mean, all of these kinds of trainings at a very early age. Um, so it was, it was a dichotomy of getting uh, traumatized and then also learning these techniques of healing. So it's very odd. Wow. I remember um, LifeSpring. My mom did that also when I was younger. So when you said that, I was like, oh, I know what LifeSpring is. Um, yeah, you have. I mean, there's it sounds like there's a lot that happened right at a very, very young age. And so going through what you did and what you experienced, there had to be some sort of outlet. Right. And right. luckily, your parents were in that place that they are also kind of going through this. Um, so all of this experience led you into wanting to become a healer. So how did that journey really start? So I uh, woke up in the hospital and uh, by the time I got out of that hospital, I had already sent letters um, to about 20 some odd schools. Uh, and so I guess I was just ready at that point to, to start. Um, I chose one of the schools and that school happened to be in Beaverton, Oregon. Um, the owner of the school really didn't know how to run a school very well, but she had been a therapist for over 40 years. And so she knew everybody in the industry and that allowed me to get educated by the top people in the world. So she would fly them out to have them do intensive uh, trainings with us. And so we learned from some amazing people. We also had the uh, instructor from um, Oregon Health and Science University do our anatomy and physiology, but we got to do things like cadaver labs that you wouldn't normally expect. Um, and then I interned for a year with Temple Lomi Lomi and Reiki. And so I'm doing the sports stuff and I'm doing the, uh, the energy work all at the same time. Um, by my third or fourth month in, in the school, I was running the clinic and we had our campus backed up to the campuses of Intel, Nike and Tektronics in Beaverton, Oregon. And we needed new clients. We needed clients for our, our clinic. So I just decided to bring our clinic to these companies and um, offer on-site therapy. And what I didn't realize at that point was that those were three of the first corporate wellness programs in the country. 
And I had no clue, but it was, it was an interesting way to begin a career. Yeah. Wow. That's really amazing that you were able to go to that specific school and be trained by the greats and then be able to incorporate it into these companies and bring out this wellness program, which I think that more companies should definitely have wellness programs, <laughs> but that's yes. a whole nother topic, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, I, for <laughs> companies, the number one issue with companies is called presenteeism. It's when a, when an employee is there, they're present, but they're really not there. And they, they say that an average on an eight hour workday is about three of those hours are productive. And the rest of the five, the person is kind of present, but absent. And so that's all mental health. So yes, companies should absolutely do wellness programs that focus on that because their productivity would increase tremendously. Yeah, that I mean, I think about the days when I was in a corporate office, right? Like sitting in a call center and I probably wasn't <laughs> present for a good chunk of the day, but um, it was also much more of a negative environment too. And so for me, I have a hard time because I really try to spin everything in the positive light and because um, I tend to absorb negative energies and I don't like that so much. So um, yeah, so I probably wasn't very present and that makes sense that most people a good chunk of the day are not even present. So it would be a great, great addition to any company across the board. Absolutely. So I am curious, I know that you really work with trauma a lot, one, because you've experienced it, and um, there's been things that have and probably things that potentially have not helped you throughout what you went through. Um, so tell me a little bit, I know like trauma-informed is this word that people tend to throw around a lot. Um, but I would love to hear your perspective and what that really truly means. Right. So yes, it's, it's a term that is thrown around quite a bit these days and probably a little illegitimately, right? So trauma-informed in my world does not mean I know that traumas exist, right? That's what some people are considering to be trauma-informed. I know that trauma exists in everybody. And so I am trauma-informed as a as a therapist, right? That, that's, it's a little bit, um, you know, too simplistic, I guess, of a, of a way of looking at it. Trauma-informed in, in my world would be trauma-trained, you know, trained for dealing with people who have experienced either physical or emotional or a combination of the both, right? And so first thing, again, this is, a, all of this is in my world. Right. So I just want to preface this is my my universe that that we're talking about. But in my universe, the the most the most people do is become uncomfortable with other people's pain. And so they want to talk them out of their pain in some way. Right. So I'm going to talk you out of your depression. I'm going to talk you out of your experience of trauma. I'm going to talk you out of this, I'm going to make it logical for you, right? The problem with that is that trauma doesn't speak English. And 
if you can understand that on a cellular level, trauma does not speak English, then you realize that you can't talk to trauma. It doesn't understand what you're saying. Trauma is visceral. It's in your cells. You feel it with vibration. You feel it with noise and movement and sensory, right? You can touch an area of somebody's body and a memory will jump to them, either good or bad, because that's lingering in the body. And so in my world, the brain is not the memory center. The body is. The soma, somatic tissue is the memory center. This is the processing unit that runs maybe some RAM, right? And that RAM would be the primal brain, your survival brain. And so if somebody's in the middle of a trauma and it's acute, you can't really talk them out of it. What do they have to do? They have to scream, shout, move, run, hit something. They have to, you have to do something physical or you end up stuffing it inside of you. And then it becomes dis-ease. And so there's, there's just a, a very different way of looking at it in, in my world than talking to the trauma. And most of those people talking are, are literally uncomfortable with the other person's pain. So they're trying to talk somebody out of it or talk themselves more comfortable. When in my experience, the most powerful thing anybody can do is sit with you, sit with me in the pain and not have to shift or change you at all and not have to raise you up and not have to you know, not have to do anything just sit with me in my pain for a little bit let me know that i'm not alone here right mm. and i will start to bubble up i will start to experience those emotions that then can be expressed but if somebody's trying to talk me out of it or tell me how how logical depression isn't you know or like this situation is just a situation and it'll get better and you can think positively. That's the stuff that'll piss me off the most. Yeah. No, Reinforces I, the trauma. Yeah. I love that you said that too, because I know at least in my experience, I didn't understand like what you just said, right? At first, when I first started my nonprofit and then um, my one of my initial trainers that did mental health first aid, she was a massage therapist and she talked about like, she had suicidal thoughts more often. And then when she went through massage school was really because now they're working in her body and like releasing all of that trauma in her body. And it wasn't something that I knew four years ago, that was a thing. And so I think it's important for people to know, especially I talk about like shoving down trauma, like it, what's alive, what's inside is always alive, right? Like how you are going to be able to release whatever you're holding on to is really important. And so I love that you talk about it's in your body, it's in your tissues, right? It's not just surface level and talking through it will potentially, well, I don't think potentially, it just won't help, right? Like right. you really have to get deep in there and figure out what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Talking typically pisses things off more, right? Now, 
go look, look what they're look what's like making a way in trends right if you look in there's these anger rooms or rage rooms mm -hmm. that are making their way in trends where you can sledgehammer a tv or a computer or a wall and punch through things and i mean this is becoming a very popular trend in some big cities right why is that because there has to be a physical release physical means both physically moving, but also vibrating the cords in your, you know, your vocal cords, vibrating your body, moving your system. Um, it requires that in order to release. We used to have amazing ways of dealing with that back when there was more of a tribal way of, of living, right? Where you go into a circle and you dance and you shout and you scream and you play the drums and you beat things and you're, you're literally getting out all of the stuff that happened in that day. What we do today is we go home, we sit in front of a TV, <laughs> and we try to numb ourselves as much as possible. And then we do that again the next day. And it just keeps building and building and building until that pressure has built so much, right? And we saw this during the, the pandemic and the lockdowns people kept blowing up either suicide or uh, physical violence with their family members, you know, where they may not have ever been a physically violent person before. It was like, you just got stuffed and then stuffed and then stuffed and then stuffed and then stuffed. And that pressure cooker is going to build. Now, the thing that we can't do is define the blowing up of the pressure cooker as good or bad, right? as a positive or a negative or right if we start judging it and then we start shaming that instead of looking at what was the cause what was the root cause originally what was the thing that made it happen to begin with yeah i um in the, what my education classes we talk about like non-suicidal self-injury and that's how I reference is like this boiling pot, right? There's got to be some way to release that pressure. And it's, it's a coping skill. And like you said, it could be, well, we don't want to define it like negative positive, right? Because most people define it as negative, but really, truly, it may not be for that case. Somehow. It's survival. It's yeah. Survival. yeah. It's simple. It's, it's really simple. It's survival. And look, I had a, a, a shaman who I used to do sweat lodges with. And I asked him one time about the tobacco because they smoke a lot of tobacco in, in, in Native American culture. And he was smoking tobacco during the ceremony. There's a use of tobacco. And he said two things. One is they use the tobacco as something sacred. So they put a prayer into it, you know, every single time. And then they blow that prayer up and what goes up must come down. So they're hoping that those prayers are answered. But the other thing he said is, you can never ask somebody to quit an addiction because you don't know what's keeping them alive unless you're willing to take on every responsibility of that person's life. You can't ask them to do anything because that cigarette may be the thing keeping that person alive that breath, that purposeful breath that you go outside for, right? Might be the thing keeping them alive. So what do we do 
instead of shaming addictions, right? Is we try to understand them as, as therapists, we try to understand them. We try to go, where did they come from? And then if we know where they came from, we can go after that root instead of after the symptom. It's a big difference. That's huge. I mean, just you saying that in my brain, I'm like, oh my gosh, that translates a lot because also in other classes that I've done, I mean, that's a good chunk of what we talk about, right? It's not, it's not, the person is not the substance or the person is not their addiction or their diagnoses or whatever, right? Like you're still a person. And I know a lot of people, especially through the pandemic that were like, I have to go to the grocery store every single day or I'm going to kill myself. Like, I know that people tell me to stay home, but I can't stay home. I physically cannot, mentally, I cannot stay home. And to those people, I said, go to the grocery store every single day. If that's what you have to do, do it. Who cares what other people think? And so, yeah, how do we move that? How do we move away from judging people and start understanding? I love that you said that. The only way I know to do it is asking questions and then watching the body language for me, right? So if somebody answers a question that is not really what the question asked, Hmm. where is that happening in their body? Mm -hmm. And if I could know that, then I can touch that part of the body and we can get a memory to start coming up and bubbling around and then we can get to a causative factor, right? So that's for me, questions. I ask a lot of questions, very deep and very open questions, open-ended, meaning they're, they're not, a lot of people ask closed-ended questions. They have a yes or a no or a definitive answer. And in therapy, that doesn't really work very well. So you ask open-ended questions, and then you can find out where in the body that, that answer lives. So I, from what I know about you, right, like you use a lot of different types of modalities. Right. Is there any um, specific, like, I mean, for me, like I am a master NLP practitioner, right? So like that, I understand the, um, that side of it. And then also just having the education on like the mental health aspect. Um, those are really the only modalities that I use myself, but, Mm -hmm. um, I know you said Reiki and then also like the shaman. Um, what else? So, if you're going to talk to somebody, right, and you're going to want them to want to elicit more than just the intellectual answer, right, or the intellectual answer that may be false that has been pre-prepared for everybody else who's asked that question, right, then you engage touching the somatics, right? So whether that is through vibration sound therapy, right? Music can elicit, dance can elicit an emotion. So I have, if I'm just doing some kind of a talk therapy without a physical touching, right? I might have them play some music that has a memory for them or that gets them up and moves a little bit. Uh, When I had uh, my therapy table, we had sound transducers on the bottom. 
So we have that vibration of the music that goes through the body and helps to release the stuff that's stuck in the body. So it doesn't have to be physical touch, although physical touch, a, a human to human, you know, skin contact tends to have the most, let's say nerve effect, right? So we're touching the most of the nerve endings. And so that spreads out a little bit. It's kind of like a baby being born. If you can have all the senses, but if they're never touched, they will die, right? Yeah. They, the nervous system just can't develop. The sense of touch is the most important sense that we have, sensory organ that we have. It's also the largest, the skin, right? So in my world, we touch. In somebody else's world, you can touch through vibration or dance or sound, have them do primal screaming, have them do some, you know, breath work and rebirthing kind of things that, that have them pushing out what's inside of them. Um, it's funny, you know, 80% of all fat loss is with breath, is in your breath. So fat is like a long chain gas molecule and 80% of what we lose is not urine or stool, but or sweat, but literally our breath. So you get somebody breathing heavily and like doing power breathing exercises that alone can move so much of the toxins that are stuck in the fat cells out of the body right and now we're literally moving the oxygen the the nutrition we're flowing good stuff in as we're pushing that bad stuff out so that's one really just easy way um you don't have to have as like all the techniques, right? I, I can look at somebody and most people can do the same and you touch them somewhere like a shoulder, right? Or a back or an arm. And all of a sudden they have an emotional response. So I had a teacher when I was 18, one of the, the instructors, my kinesiology instructor had come from Holland and she had run the largest kinesiology center in Holland and worked a lot with PTSD and, and the war trauma um, in that area. And when she moved here, she first moved to Utah and she was in a bar. This is two years after she lived here. She was in a bar and somebody came up to her and touched her back and she started bawling her eyes out because she realized it had been two years since anybody had touched her. Right. The, the powerful thing that human touch, the need for human touch, anybody who doesn't need human touch has been traumatized <laughs> in some way. Right. Because it is an innate human requirement to have nerves build and and grow properly and have your body function properly. So you need that touch. But just understand, like if you're looking at your life before you were with your partner, right? Or even now that you are in life, how many times do you get touched in a week or a hug or acknowledged physically? It's at, at some level, physical touch, right? How often? I live alone for the most part. I don't get touched unless I go to get some, <laughs> go to get therapy, right? <laughs> so it, it's really fascinating what happens with just a simple, I'm here. Hmm. And that's it.
Nothing else has to happen. I'm here. People, when they know that they can trust that safety that you've provided because you're not judging or shaming who or what they are or what they've been through, that's when they get to release. That's so powerful. Just being, right? just being near somebody. And yeah, like you said, I, I mean, I have a six-year-old who luckily for me, he loves hugs and kisses. And (laughs) so that's a daily occurrence in my life. But I, I also know that through the pandemic, especially there's a lot of people that were isolated. And as humans, we are not conditioned to be isolated. Like touch is so important, just connection in general. And so I think coming out of this, that's why we're seeing a lot more challenges that are arising, right? Like we need that physical connection. And I think it's so important that you brought it up also. Um, So in business wise, right? Like you, you are very much of a hands-on type person. What were you able to translate that via zoom i know you said vibration is something that you brought out um via zoom I yeah have you really ever do, done i didn't really do much telemedicine i did a lot of podcasting uh during during this um a lot of a lot of my focus was really about bringing to light information that i think is is just not told to people that often or or not recognized it's funny my daughter just um, sent me a message about 20 minutes ago. She's going back to Costa Rica. Uh, she was either going to go to Costa Rica or to Cyprus, right? But she's going back to Costa Rica sooner rather than waiting to go to Cyprus. And the reason why is because since she's been here for like the week and a half that she's been here from Costa Rica, she, her acne has come back. Her allergies have come back. She's feeling sickly compared to how she felt in Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, food is clean, the air is clean, the water is clean, right? So she is living what she considers a healthier lifestyle. But literally, it was just coming here, the air, the water, she started getting allergies and acne and all kinds of things again. Now, what I asked her is how many people live their lives sickly simply because of where they live and the environment around them and don't even know it and have that depressive quality on your body, on your immune system, right? And then, so now add that on to now you're in the house and in the house we know is 10 times worse air quality than outside of the house right? So now you're stuck in a house with bad air quality. You're not able to move. You're not able to to do a whole lot. You can't go to the gym. (laughs) You can't, you have no outlet. How do you expect somebody's mental health to come out of that? I mean, people are lucky if, if, if they weren't scathed by it, right? But I don't know very many people who weren't scathed by it. And so now we look at the world and we go, okay, so everybody's been through this 
universal trauma. How do we get people out of this universal trauma? The only way I know of is connection, meaning learn, connect, question, talk, commune with, be with people. That's how I know. You know? I think that's important too, is that as we start coming, I've, I mean, we've been out, I feel like for a little while, but um, yeah, that connection I think is huge. Being able to go to events or concerts or whatever lights you up, right, is is key and making sure that you maybe even just step outside the house, right? Like go for a walk now that you're able to talk to the neighbors if you like your neighbors, right? Um, (laughs) There's, But that's really interesting about your daughter and the air quality and the food quality. And I mean, I'm in Colorado and it's like the altitude just, I know significantly impacts people's health in general, Mm -hmm. uh, mental health included. So um, tell me a little bit, I do want to hear about your podcast too. So tell me a little bit about that. It's called Create a New Tomorrow. It's right there somewhere. Yes. <laughs> and uh, basically, I, I wrote a book called A New Tomorrow, and it's about how do we activate our vision for a better world? Like, literally, how do we stop gathering to complain and start collaborating to succeed? How do we start making a difference and actually functionally doing the things that we've been talking about and complaining about for so long? And so... That's the conversation that I'm having. So a a lot of it is around the medical system. Uh, We already know that the medical system is broken. And this, we we postulate that there's only one thing that would change everything in the system. And that's the incentive. If we switch the incentive from procedures to results, we could shift the entire medical system because now everything would have to rearrange itself to get better results. So... Now you're not doing procedures for no reason. There's literally no benefit to doing fraud because doing more doesn't pay you more. The only thing that pays you more is getting good results, right? Now let, let's extrapolate that. If we did that with the Senate, if we did that with our government, if we did, if we did that with everything, it doesn't matter the cost, right? Because that's really just some made up shit that we made up, the money. It matters what we want to accomplish, what we want to do, the result of the experiment, right? So if we want to go to the moon and we have somebody say, we're going to the moon in 10 years, by the end of this decade, we're going to be on the moon. What's going to happen? We're going to be on the moon. And we have, if we have that in, in every part of our society, right, we're going to cure these diseases. We're not going to treat them forever. We're going to cure the shit out of them. And that means that we've got to change how we're doing agriculture and change how what we're putting into the air and change what we're putting into the water, then that's what it takes. And it doesn't matter that it costs a lot. It matters what the result is. The result is we now have the technology to create good health in our environment and our infrastructure where we didn't have that ability a hundred years ago because we didn't know about lead pipes and we didn't know about oil and gas in the atmosphere and environment. So rather than, again, shaming and blaming and judging, right? Let's just, okay, we made that shit up then. It worked for us for a while. And now we're going to make some more stuff up that will work for us better. 
And, and that's really the, the shift that I want to see in the world. That'll help with mental health because people will get, will see that things are getting done. Hope does, drives amazing things for mental health, right? So if we start doing these things rather than talking about them, rather than letting the politicians go with promises that they'll never, never keep, right? We just do it ourselves. We create a better system and we put it right next door to the old system and we say, which one do you want? Yeah. My system is based on results because to me, the, that incentive, that being the incentive is the only thing that can shift the game enough to stop the, the idiocy. I think that results base would be amazing because especially in the healthcare space of, I just feel like more people would go get the help that they need, right? They're because they're expecting that when they go, they'll actually be given something that will help them or right. hurt them. <laughs> and so, I mean, we know, especially in the mental health world that most people because our stats come from people that report, but there's such a huge chunk that doesn't report right? because they never seek out help. And so that's where a lot of, at least in the mental health world, one, it's inundated because we're trying to not, I mean, not necessarily fix. We're just trying to bandaid as I call it. And mm -hmm. then, I mean, but if you go to that results like that, that sounds like an incredible shift across yeah. the board. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know anything that will shift anything quite as much as just that one thing. It's really simple, but it cuts fraud out of almost everything because there's no point in fraud if it doesn't work, right? If it's, if it's not getting the results. So the result would be clean water, clean air, healthy environment, healthy people, right? That's the, that's the result that we're after. So what has, has to happen for that to happen? We have the technology. It's really cool. We do have it now. It just takes the motivation and the people's will to, to make that happen and to stop waiting for government to do everything because, you know, it's a big ship. It takes too long to move. I'd rather more nimble, you know, move at the turn of technology instead of move at the turn of the century. And we saw that a lot, like during the pandemic too, is like when all the factories were shut down, right? When everything was like shut down, people weren't outside constantly driving all of these things. I mean, I know at least at my house, I had this spider that was like literally this big <laughs> because everything was flourishing. Like things were starting to grow and live and the air quality was like 10 times better. You saw it like via the satellites. And so- it can be done. Mm -hmm. Like you said, how do we do it? And the other thing that pops in my head is what I hear all the time is work yourself out of a job, right? Like I would rather yeah. work myself out of a job than have the same people coming back for the same thing over and over and over. Exactly. And what if, what if that was the incentive and that's how you got paid, right? So the more people you got better, the more money you made, so the more people you get better, the less work you're doing and the more money you're making and the more you're enjoying your life. Yeah. I don't think that's a, quite a bad scenario. I don't think so at all. That, that sounds to me to be pretty idealistic. And 
let's say you have, um, let's see what number one medication on the planet is Lipitor, I believe. Mm. At least it used to be. Uh, according to the World Health Organization in 1992, they said that there's zero correlation between high cholesterol and heart disease in women. But yet it's the number one prescribed medication. So let's say we got everybody off of that medication. Just that alone, how much money are we saving? Hot. Right? <laughs> now let's add metformin to that. That's the number two prescribed medication for diabetes. Well, diabetes, we know type two diabetes is completely lifestyle, completely how, how our food is. What if we stop allowing companies to put food that kills us into packages, right? They have to actually, or they have to say, you know, this food will kill you <laughs> right. like on a cigarette pack, right? <laughs> it's got a lot of chemicals. So let's say we stopped allowing that and just said, okay, we got to go back to organic, hydroponic, aeroponic. We have the technology now to grow without need for taking up massive land. What's going to happen to the land? Little farmers are going to come, come back. The small farmer, the organic farmer will come back because they like the lifestyle. They like what they like doing that. Right. So that will come back. The factory farming doesn't need to be coming back at all. Right. Because we have, we could grow skyscraper farms that will feed the entire city. We also cut fuel costs because we don't need as many truck drivers because we're eating local. You know, I mean, I could go on the extrapolation that, that happens when you do one thing right or one thing wrong. Mm. The, the butterfly effect, the ripples in the water, right? That happen is so, so intense that for every good thing we end up doing, it, it creates a ripple effect. And so that's what I want to see more of. Let's create more ripple effects of cleaning the air, cleaning the water, and doing it with the technologies that already exist. You know? Yeah. I think that's so important. And I love that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that you wrote a whole book around that too. So if, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be your client, they want to get your book, how can they do that? Um, I am Ari Gronich at just about everywhere. And I'm the only one on the planet. So <laughs> um, from Facebook to YouTube to uh, anywhere. Create a new tomorrow is my, uh, the channel for YouTube and podcast and uh, achieve health USA is company. So.com. You can reach me there, but Ari Gronich pretty much anywhere you can find me. Awesome. Any last minute tips, tricks, thoughts that you want to throw out there? So the thing that I like to tell people all the time, and I said it a few times here is we made this shit up. We can do better. It's we, we need to stop being married to this creation that isn't working and start being married to the concept of results so that everything we do is based on the results that we get. And that's where our integrity comes from too, right? So that's what I like to say. Stop making it up. Let's create a new tomorrow today. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate you. I literally could probably talk to you all day long, but we only have a short amount of time. So thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
All right, y'all, that was another amazing episode of Mental Health Mondays, where we talk to professionals that are in the mental health space or guests who experience or live with a mental health challenge or mental health advocates. And you heard it from Ari. Let's make a new tomorrow. Let's be change makers. I don't know. That was a word that popped in my head this morning. And it kind of is this, <laughs> this thing that came up today too. Um, we made this shit up. <laughs> Let's change it for the better, right? Make sure that you like, subscribe, and share. Um, I told you at the beginning of this, I was going to throw out something. So if you watched last week, which was also an amazing episode, um, I talked about our film festival that's coming up. It is this Sunday. I know, so fast. This Sunday, you can watch it from anywhere in the world, and we are showcasing 14 films this year centered around mental health and suicide. And then we have multiple of the filmmakers that are going to be live in the theater with us and on Zoom. So you can ask them any questions, but you have to be there. You have to watch, and you get a vote for People's Choice. So Grab your tickets today. Go to bccevolution.org and it's under our events. It's the MHSA Film Festival, Mental Health Suicide Awareness Film Festival. And you've got to grab your tickets to watch it live. But it's Sunday. Uh, the doors open at 1 p.m. in person and then we'll start the live stream at 1.45 and it goes till about 5.36 Mountain Standard Time. So Go grab your tickets. And I told you I was going to give you something at the end of this. So if you use the promo code 241, so it's 2-F-O-R-1, two for one, you can get two for one tickets. Um, otherwise, reach out to me if you need a discount. But it, they're pretty cheap tickets, whether you watch it vir virtual or in person. And in person, you get a really cool swag bag. So again, this was another episode of Mental Health Mondays. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, and join us next Monday at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Bye, y'all.